It's Easter, y'all. <laughs> How many of you read my newsletter this month? Easter's a hard time um, in New Thought because there's this constant question of how'd that really happen? How'd that really happen? And, and my answer, as you've heard before, if you read it, is that the actual mechanism by which it happened is so unimportant that I don't even know that it needs discussion. There are all kinds of possibilities. Mary Magdalene, in one of the Gospels, actually talked to Jesus at the tomb. He said, you know, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for Jesus. They've taken away. They've taken away my Lord. And he said, uh, Mary, hello. And she was, um, by, many, um, by many writings, his most faithful of servants. So she didn't recognize him. Was he in the same body? Who knows? Who knows? And it's said in the Gospel of Mark that she was the first one to meet him. So it doesn't matter so much. And I love that um, Paul has this explanation. It's like, stop worrying about what the body looks like. The physical body is not important. It is what we have for a very short period of time. And the spiritual body is what is the truth of us, is what is imperishable, is the only thing that can inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of unconditional love. In these bodies, we can't do it. But when we lay down these bodies and, and truly become the truth of who we already were, but we forgot because we put these, heaven, these heavy, cumbersome bodies on, when we realize the truth of who we are, then we will rise up, and it doesn't matter what condition our body is in. That's the truth that I want to share on Easter Sunday. So this idea, and, and I had meant to do a Good Friday service, because so much happens between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. So much happens. He gathers with his disciples, and he has dinner with them, and he washes their feet which is an act of letting them know, I am your servant, not the other way around. Mmm, spirit. Spirit serves us. Spirit is the truth of who we are. He had dinner with them. He asked them to please remember him. And when they swore, I will, I will never forget, I promise. Maybe everybody else will, but not me. He told them, yeah, you will. <laughs> And you will, and you're going to betray me, so why don't you go ahead and go and get started with that deal? Okay? And did he say, you're going to betray me, get out of the dinner? He said, no, this is, this is yours to do, let's go. And that's kind of what we were talking about last week, is that we have tasks in these earthly bodies. We have tasks, and they don't always look pretty, and they're not always explainable to spirit, to our spiritual selves, or to it in human form. But in spiritual form, we understand that these are the stories, if you will, the lives that we play out in order to learn what it is we're here to learn. And do you think Judas learned what he was here to learn? Judas didn't betray Christ because he didn't love Christ. He betrayed Christ because his understanding was that the Messiah was going to come and throw off Roman rule. And then Jesus was going to be the leader of the Jews. He was going to be literally the king on earth of the Jews. And when that didn't happen, Judas felt betrayed. 
Well, wait a minute, though. You're telling us all this stuff about love. That's not what we want to hear. We want to hear Romans are gone and you're in charge and we are triumphant. And what Jesus tried to say over and over again in his teachings, which the disciples, like us, a disciple is simply someone who follows, just didn't quite get it. They got glimpses of it, and then they'd forget. And then, thank goodness, there were more than a couple of them because they could remind each other so that they for could forget again, so that they could remind each other. That's why we're here. We will forget in our earthly bodies, we will forget, but the Spirit is the truth of who we are, and it will continue to remind us, especially as we gather together and remind each other. As I gather with you and look at your face and see the love of God shining through your eyes, then I remember, then I know who you are, and that reminds me of who I am. And that's the whole reason that we're here. So when Jesus entered triumphantly, on Palm Sunday, as we talked about last week, he already knew that some bad stuff was going down. He knew that they had taken just about as much of him as they could take because he did not teach the way they taught. He did not teach that everyone needed to go to the priests and get their approval. He said, no, 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 God is yours. You don't have to go through anyone else. The Spirit of God is alive inside of you. And the priests did not want to hear that because that took away their power. That took away their power. And this was all about earthly power. You get what's going on here? And Jesus was saying, it's not about earthly power. Who cares about earthly power? We're talking about something much more real. We're talking about something much more substantial than a crown or a body even. We're talking about ultimate truth. A very a, a beautiful um, theologian, one of the leading theologians of today, Andrew Harvey, um, is a man who, um, who studied Eastern religions very, very deeply. He went into India. He went into the Far East. He studied Buddhism. He studied Hinduism. He studied Taoism. He studied all of the world's major religions, including Buddhism, Hindu. He studied Islam deeply. As a matter of fact, he's one of the foremost um, translators of Rumi's poems into English. But in India, he came back to Jesus. He came back to Jesus as he met Bede Griffiths, his, his teacher who was a, um, an Anglican priest who had gone there to set up um, a missionary there and who had been very influenced by the beautiful um, religion of the Hindus. Andrew Harvey says today that, the, that there is beauty in all religions. Of course there is. Of course there is. And there is truth in all religions. Any religion that teaches that love is paramount and foremost is the truth. But what Christians have, what Andrew Harvey discovered that none of the other religions had is this, you know, it, all the other religions had gods who were magic. They didn't have to suffer. They would come down on earth, they would do their thing, and then they would go, bing, or ee, 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 and then they'd be out of it right? And there were people who said that Jesus couldn't possibly have the Spirit of God within him, or else he would have winked himself right off the cross. 
Why would you stand and have that happen to you if you had other um, possibilities? And what he said is that is the most important point, is that this person could have skipped it. But for love of us and for understanding of what it is that we go through as human beings, he chose he chose to stay. He chose to live out his karma, if you'd like to call it that. He chose to live out what his role was here. He chose to go through the pain so that none of us could ever go, yeah, it's easy for you, but you don't understand how hard my life is, right? You ever have a day where you think, but my life is so hard, I haven't been crucified yet, though. <laughs> Right? So there is something very visceral about a relationship with not just the Christ, which is that spirit within all of us, but Jesus the Christ, who made a choice, I believe, who made a choice to experience all of the earthly pain that was his to experience and still declare that that is not important. Spirit is what is important. Love is what is important. Love is the only thing that's eternal. Spirit is the only thing that is eternal. And that, I believe, is the message of Jesus. There are resurrections all through, um, through uh, the history of religions, from some of the very, very oldest pagan religions, um, the Egyptians, the, um, the Greeks, um, the, even Hindus had resurrections from their gods, but um, in, in Sumeria, in, there's, I can't say it, Quetzalcoatl, Quetzalcoatl, everybody know who that is? That's a Mesoamerican god who, it is said, was resurrected. But what is different is that Christ felt the pain before the resurrection. It wasn't a magical thing. It wasn't a magical thing. And so this is our legacy, um, at, at, that we are at least culturally Christian, those of us here in this room, and I think probably a lot of us identify as Christian, and definitely all of us here can benefit from a relationship with Jesus the Christ who showed us how to be the Christ on earth, how to be the Christ on earth. You are the Christ. We are the Christ. That Christ spirit, that spirit of God lives within all of us, but we're not all letting it out to play very often. <laughs> and so Jesus showed us how that could be done. Rebirth. And that is the message that we get twice a year. We get it at Christmas. We get to have the Christ spirit reborn in us in innocence again at Christmas time. And at Easter time, we remember again, of course, springtime is the world over, that time of rebirth when literally there are babies everywhere. And there are two babies here today. So make sure you see the babies. So that is our traditional time when we get to, if we wish to, enter into this idea of rebirth. That everything that was before can be let go. As the beautiful song that we sang earlier from Sue Riley and Letty Hammock, baptism of tears, clear my vision, bathe me in peace, reveal my mission. When we allow the hurts of this life to clear us so that we can see more clearly 
then we do get our mission revealed and we do stand up more wholly, more truly, more, more fully as the truth of who we are as that living love that is the Christ presence in all of us, that is the spirit of God living through us, through this whole world, through all of creation. But we have another choice. We can let that baptism of tears be the end. Poor me. And we can stay right at poor me. We can stay at poor me right up till the day of our deaths if we wish to. But Jesus came to say, but you don't have to. There's another way. So what does rebirth look like for us today? And I'm just going to go through a few words that are used often in Christianity and reclaim them from the sometimes off-putting connotations that they often have. To, rebirth, to be reborn simply means to give new life to, a new beginning, revitalization, refreshing, reinvigoration. Do you feel invigorated this morning? Let that be your rebirth. Let that new life bursting up within you be the beginning of your rebirth into the truth of God, the truth of love, the truth of unconditional, eternal life. And then we reveal. That's what Jesus did. He revealed the truth. He didn't make up a truth. Guess what? The spirit outlives the body. He didn't make that up. He revealed it by personifying it. And that is what is ours to do. Every day to be the example of rebirth. To every day let go of whatever it is that we have done wrong, whatever shame, whatever pain, whatever we've been through, whatever has been done to us. And even what we have done to others to get to the point where we understand it rightly, which is this is what we do in our earthly bodies when we are not in our right minds. And then we can forgive and release and let go and move on into the truth of this eternal life, this revealed spirit. The word repent has become really a favorite word of mine, even though it was used when I was a child to sort of beat me over the head a lot. <laughs> the etymology of the word repent, it's a Greek word, and Paul's the one who used it a lot, and Paul wrote in Greek, right? Um, to repent means to think again. Pent, pensive, thinking. To think again. Repent. Think again. Change your mind. How often do you hear that in New Thought? If you want to change your world, change your mind. There's nothing wrong with the world. There's only something wrong with the way you are looking at it, with the way you're choosing to perceive it. The truth of God is that this is all temporary and it's all okay when viewed rightly. And that's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do, but it is um, worth a reorientation, a fundamental transformation of our outlook, of what we choose to see, a transformation of our vision of the world and ourselves. We get to repent. We get to think again. When we start thinking that we're the most put upon, we get to think again. When we start thinking that they did it to me, we get to think, it, we get to think again. 
When we start thinking, well, the only way I can make this right is to balance the scales, and here's how I'm going to do it in my little human mind, balance the scales, like I know what the scales even are. We get to think again, oh, yes, justice is God's. To live out my life plan is mine. To live out my life plan is mine. I get to rethink. And then when I rethink, I can rethink what really matters, what is real, and what is mine to do. If you ask yourself those three questions on a daily basis or a weekly or even a monthly basis, if you ask yourself honestly those three questions and spend some time with yourself, you will find your life is transformed. What matters? What is real? What is real? And what is mine to do? Because maybe in this lifetime, we don't get to know exactly what matters and what is real. Maybe we know it, but we don't get to experience it in the way we would like to because of these painful feelings and cumbersome bodies. But we can know by asking every day, what is mine to do? Mine is to be the best Melinda I can be. It's not to be a better Bill or a better Peggy or a better Janet. It's to be the best Melinda I can be. So what is yours to do? And what does that mean? I mean, I have ideas about what it means to be the best Melinda I can be. But you only can ask that question for yourself. And it's very important that you do. And it's very important that you ask it again and again and you listen to the answers. What is mine to do? To redeem something. Then we redeem our lives, right? We redeem them. Like that word? What happens when you redeem a coupon? <laughs> you use it so that you get its value. Think about that for a minute. You get it or you win it back. You redeem your life from what distresses or harms. To redeem something simply means to, to emancipate it or to make it free. When we redeem our lives, we are no longer, as Jesus demonstrated, held down by what happened at the cross or in the days leading up to the cross. What we are defined by is the truth of the spirit that we are. And we get to let all that go and move ahead with clear vision. What is mine to do? I am free. I am free from captivity. I am free. To restore means to return or to reestablish to a former condition or place or position. You know, in the 12 steps, the second step is um, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Could restore us to sanity. Not will, but could. Why could instead of will? Because that higher power does not work against our will. We have to allow it to happen. That a power greater than ourselves could restore us, could bring us back to the truth of who we are. We are that love. We are that love. And I've heard people say, I don't think I was ever sane in the first place. Maybe not. Some of my earliest memories are of insanity. <laughs> of thinking... I'm in charge here, and I'll tell everybody else what to do, and then we'll all be fine. <laughs> I remember thinking that when I was like three. Okay. 
That was certainly not sanity. But the sanity that is the truth of who we are, the sanity that is that unconditional, ever-giving, constant, renewing, life-giving love. So we get to restore ourselves to the truth of who we are in our choices every day that we remember. Remember. You know, to dismember means to take something apart. To remember means to put it back together again. Think about that. To remember something is to bring it back home, to bear in mind, to bring our mind to an awareness of, right? So we forget. That's the nature of humanity. We forget and we forget and we forget and we forget because we believe the evidence of our physical eyes. But the beauty is that in every moment, we can have a resurrection experience. We can have the experience of remembering the truth of who we are, of seeing through the eyes of love, of remembering, returning, restoring ourselves to the truth of who we are. We bring our minds back to the awareness of what's in here, what's in the heart and mind, what's in the core of us. What's in that core of me that I share with you? It is not mine wholly, but it, that is all of ours. Holy with a W and holy with an H. Holy, holy. And then I just stuck this word in because I like words and this was fun. Relish. We get to relish. What does lish mean? I don't know. To relish <laughs> means to savor to appreciate, to actually allow ourselves to feel and be present with and delight in this new truth, this new birth, this new opportunity to be who we were all along before we forgot. And we are so blessed because we have someone who exampled that for us. Someone who didn't say, well, in light of all the really bad stuff that's happening to me, I'm going to smite all these people. How many times have you wished you had the power to smite? <laughs> but said instead, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. There are very few words that move me as much as those words. Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. Was ever a bigger truth spoken? Did they know what they were doing? No. They thought they knew what they were doing. They thought they were punishing a guy. Some of them were punishing him because he promised, he, they thought he promised to be their king, and then he reneged on that promise. That's what the Jews thought. And the Romans thought, and the Pharisees thought, well, we're punishing him because he had the um, audacity to say he was the king. And we're the kings. So either way, you see that? That's like a real, that's a real hard place to be in. You're damned if you're the king and you're damned if you're not the king. That's actually what was going on there. That was what was going on there. And so he understood this is not personal. If they knew who I was, they wouldn't do this. If they knew who they are. 
If any of them knew who they are in truth, they wouldn't do this. If Peter had known who he truly was, he would have had no need to deny Christ. If Judas had known who Judas truly was, he would have had no need to betray Christ. If the Pharisees had known the truth of who they are, which was so much greater than the hubris that their human minds had brought them to. No, I'm better than any of these other people. What they didn't know is they were way better than that. So much better than that that they didn't need those earthly trappings. That was just noise that got in the way of the truth of who they were. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And then what I think is maybe the most important lesson that Jesus taught from the cross or the one that resonates within me the most right now. He didn't say, Father, I forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He didn't say he forgave. He asked God to do the work because he was a little otherwise occupied at the moment. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever say to someone, well, how can I forgive that? You don't understand what they did to me. How can I forgive? You don't have to. You can do exactly what Jesus did. You can say, I don't understand it. I don't see it. I don't have the bandwidth for it right now. But I choose to believe that it's not the truth. And I call upon the Spirit of God to do the work to make the truth line up, to forgive, to give love for hate. Because all hate is simply fear and misunderstanding. If they understood, they couldn't have done it. And my friends, that is true of every single person in this world who hurts you. Everyone who tells a story against you, everyone who gets up on the news and says something that you think, ah! That. They don't know what they're doing. If they did know, they would do it differently. And how are they ever to know if those of us who do know and believe, who at least have been exposed to this belief that it's possible, if we don't begin to live it in our lives, then how are the people who've never even heard or have zero understanding? going to ever understand unless we begin to use the understanding that we have been given by God. I have this understanding. You don't know what you're doing. Right now, I'm still too mad in my earthly form, but God, I'm going to trust that's true, and I'm going to let you do the work through me. Because the only God work that I can do in this lifetime is the work that I allow God to do through me. And so I get to stand beside and I get to let that happen. I don't have to be good enough. I'm so good, I forgive you. Oh, that's dangerous territory. But I understand that none of us really knows what we're doing here in these earthly bodies. And so God, I'm going to trust your forgiveness to get us through until the time when we can all realize the truth, the time when we can all awaken to the unconditional love in which we were created and that we are to this day and throughout eternity. We are that unconditional love of God. Thank you.
So we're going to sing another song into, into our meditation today. And it's a song about being the truth, the love that we are. trouble accepting the truth, just breathe into it. Breathe. I am love. Because if anyone is, you are. In the beginning, If God is eternal, unconditional love and God created the universe, well then what material, what substance did God use if there was only God? We're not only the creation of God, we are the substance of Godness. That's what creation is. And so breathe into that for a moment. There is a love that is the final truth. 
before anything was and after everything is. Because eternity not only has no end, it has no beginning by its very nature. Love, 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 love. And if you ever get confused, why am I here? What is mine to do? How do I do what's mine to do? Here is the answer, love. We love. We take the steps that are here for us to take in our lives with love, from love, for the sake of love. And we never run out of that energy because that love is who we are. The only thing we can do is forget is to begin to believe that somehow it's not true or if it's true for someone but not for me. And if you have that thought, sure, it's human. Give it a little kiss and the pat on the head and send it to bed and say, yes, but love. Love is what I do. Love is who I am. Love is how I move. Love is how I am actually animated into this life. Love. And therefore, love is how I am to proceed. And if you're ever caught with the question, why? The answer again is love. Because love is drawn to love. Love makes more love. Love is the strongest power and energy and will prevail over anything that seems unlike itself. Love is the truth of who we are, so we get to be what we want to see in the world. We get to be the kindness. We get to be the peace. How can I be peaceful? Love. Remember the love that you are, and it will bring you peace. How can I know what to do? Love. The truth of us, the truth that Jesus the Christ came to teach and taught over and over and over again in so many words was, you are that love. And in this lifetime, in this body, your only task is to live from that place in every moment that you can. 
And in the moments that you don't feel you can, you simply call on love. God, love, Father within, forgive all this confusion in me and out of me because we don't always remember what we're doing here. But I choose to speak and to live this word of love in this moment and feel the gratitude of that and say amen.